Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Job chapter 25. This is the third speech in the third round of dialogue. Here, Bildad is responding to Job. Bildad's speech is very short, only six verses. So the RMM plan, for example, has us reading two chapters today, allowing us also to hear the first part of the fourth speech in the third round as Job replies to Bildad. Now, as to why this speech is so short, this speech of Bildad, most commentators think that it is intended to communicate that Job's friends are running out of steam. Everything has been said that needs to be said. And there hasn't been enough evidence to settle the matter conclusively one way or the other. This analysis seems strengthened by the fact that Zophar, who usually goes last, doesn't even participate in this present round of debate. So clearly, things are winding to a close. But not before this brief word from Bildad. Bildad's speech in chapter 25 is one of my favorite speeches in the entire book. Not because it comes closer to the answer but because it asks one of the best questions in all the Old Testament. The question is right in the middle. How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? That's it right there. If you aren't asking some version of that question by the end of the Old Testament, then you aren't paying attention and you aren't ready to read and properly appreciate all the grace that is unfolded for us in the New Testament. This is the question that launched the Protestant Reformation. Luther agonized over the question of how a sinful man could ever be pure in the eyes of a holy God. How is that even possible? Who who can even contemplate such a thing? That question, that wrestle is an absolutely critical stage in the journey of salvation. You have to pass through this narrow gate in order to find Jesus waiting for you on the other side. So we haven't reached the answer portion of this book, but we are getting to the point where people are at least asking better questions. Thanks be to God. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Then Bildad, the Shuhite, answered and said, Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in his high heaven. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not arise? How, then, can a man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright, and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot, and the son of man who is a worm? Bildad here desires to re-establish certain boundaries and proportions which he believes have been lost somehow over the course of this conversation. It's all well and good to talk about hows and whys and wherefores, but let's not forget that God is huge and we are very small. God is holy and majestic and we are frail and fallen. Therefore, we occupy a very precarious position in the universe. Who among us then should be surprised when he falls? That is 
Bildad's argument in a nutshell, and there is much to commend it. Bildad may be guilty of misapplication, but in terms of his understanding of reality, he's pretty much bang on. So be careful not to discard this truth simply because it was misapplied. John Calvin says here, In the person of Bildad, the Holy Spirit gives us this admonition. It is, there surely must be sovereign principality in God, and we must be frightened at the thought of him seeing the order which he has set in the heavens, closed quote. That's the point that Bildad is trying to make, that our consideration of the perfect order of the cosmos ought to make us cautious about desiring an appointment with God. How could we, such disordered and chaotic creatures, expect to do well in any judicial encounter with the Lord? That's a, a fair question, and one all people would do well to consider. God is obviously holy and obviously ordered and obviously powerful and obviously wise. And we, just as obviously, are not any of those things. Even if we feel that we are relative to other people, lift up your head, brothers and sisters, and consider honestly the evidence of the cosmos and be cautious and chastened in your desires. That's what Bildad is saying. And as I said, that is very good counsel for us all. None of us should be too eager to stand before the scrutiny of the thrice holy God, particularly if we're not adequately prepared. And that leads us to the heart of Bildad's speech in verse 4, the verse I already referred to. Bildad asks the preeminent Old Testament question, how then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? That's a good question. And it will require a virgin birth to provide a satisfactory answer. You see, if you haven't realized by the time you finish reading the Old Testament that you will not be able to stand before God on your own merits come Judgment Day, then you simply haven't been paying attention. Let's give Bildad credit for getting there in what is arguably the first and oldest book of the Bible. He doesn't have the right answer, but at least he's asking the right question before anyone else in recorded history. So let's give him that. There is a sense in which this question isn't just the center of Bildad's speech, it is also the center of the entire biblical storyline. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that. He said that the message of this book is really but one, two testaments, one book, one message, and the purpose of the Bible is really to deal with just one thing. And that one thing is man in his relationship to God, closed quote. So Lloyd Jones said basically that we read the Bible at the end of the day to learn about one thing, man in his relationship to God. Now, there are three pieces to that one thing. We need to know about God, we need to know about man, and we need to know how God will redeem man out of the mess he has made for himself. That's the one thing. That's what Lloyd-Jones meant by man in his relationship to God. That's what the Bible is about. And this little bit here in Bildad's speech is absolutely critical to a correct understanding of that one thing. Listen to what Bildad says next. Behold, even the moon is not bright, 
and the stars are not pure in his eyes, how much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm. So he says that if God summoned the moon or the stars to stand before him in judgment, even they, bright as they are, would pale and qualm before such a summons. How much more you, O man who is a maggot. The stars at least have not lost their luster. The moon at least continues to shine. But you, O man, consider the heights from which you have fallen. You who are made to rule over all things. You who were made in the image and likeness of God. Look at the pitiful creature you've become. How could you ever hope to be confident before the judgment of Almighty God? That is as I've said, a very good question. That is the question. And it is the question that prepares and positions us to respond properly to the person and work of Christ. That's where Calvin ends his sermon on this chapter. He says, What remains then? Let us learn, whenever the means of our salvation are spoken of to us, to consider where it is that we ought to have all our confidence, namely, that being received by our God through his pure goodness, he purges and cleanses us through his Holy Spirit of all our spots and washes us in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he has poured out for our purging and that he renders us so pure and clean by this means that we exist before his face, closed quote. That's the correct takeaway. If, if you're asking the question, how should chapter 25 affect me? That is the answer. It should cause you to think about the final judgment and to prepare for that by embracing God's provision through the person and work of Christ. In terms of understanding the connection between chapter 25 and 26, which we want to do because we're reading both chapters today in the RMM Bible reading plan, Tremper Longman III is very useful here. He says, Bildad here is correct in principle, but horribly wrong in applying the principle to Job. Yes, God is all-powerful. Human righteousness also pales before the glory of God. However, we know from the prologue that God is not punishing Job because of any lack or fault on his part. Thus, Bildad's point misses its mark and does not help Job, closed quote. That is exactly right. Bildad was exactly right. He was noticing the right things and asking the right questions, but he was wrong in thinking that this astute observation somehow spoke specifically to Job's suffering and difficulty, as if Job alone was unprepared for judgment, as if Job alone was fallen from his original intended glory. No, Bildad's observations apply equally to all people, and therefore they are not particularly helpful to Brother Job in his present predicament. Now, by the way, let's just pause there and think about that as counselors to people who are suffering. That's one of the reasons uh, people enjoy studying this book of the Bible. What we are seeing here is that sometimes you can say things that are absolutely true, marvelously true, gloriously true, and yet absolutely unhelpful to the person in need. 
The job of the counselor is not to enter the presence of a suffering person armed with several true things to say. The job of the counselor is to think very carefully about the person's particular situation and to offer true things that apply usefully in their particular situation. That's the, that's the missing piece here. Bildad is saying true things, extraordinarily true things, but things that don't apply to Job in particular and that therefore are not all that helpful in his situation of terrible need. That's what Job says when he begins his speech in chapter 26. Hear now the word of the Lord in that chapter, beginning at verse 1. Then Job answered and said, How you have helped him who has no power! How you have saved the arm that has no strength! How you have counseled him who has no wisdom and plentifully declared sound knowledge! With whose help have you uttered words and whose breath has come out from you? The dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads it over it. In his cloud, he has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways." And how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his power, who can understand? This speech, the fourth and final speech in the third round, is the longest speech by any person in the book of Job. It runs from 26.1 through to 31.40. So obviously we're going to be dealing with it in snips and segments. In this first part of it, in chapter 26, Job doesn't disagree with Bildad per se. He, he just says that his speech was not particularly helpful. Right text, wrong time. Right truth, wrong application. How does what you say help me in my present situation? Do I look like a guy who has gotten too big for his britches? Do I look like a guy who would protest being called a maggot? I am a maggot. Let me rephrase that. I aspire to be a maggot. If I could somehow achieve maggot status at some point in the future, I would be absolutely thrilled, Brother Bildad. So is that really what you think I needed to hear? And then Job goes on to match him glory for glory. He says marvelous things here, too, about the majesty and transcendence of God. In fact, Francis Anderson says chapter 26 is one of the grandest recitals in the whole book. It is excelled only by the Lord's speeches, as is fitting, closed quote. So, Bildad, you made a grand speech, and I will up your grand speech with an even grander speech. I'm not sure how it sheds any light on my particular situation, but I agree fundamentally with absolutely everything that you said. And so he talks, too, about God's wisdom and power and providence, how he stretches out the north and hangs the earth on nothing. He talks about the pillars of the world and how God silences the roaring of the sea. I know that he is great, Job says. 
And these are but the outskirts of his ways. That's how Job begins the longest and last of his speeches in this dialogue. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again tomorrow, right here for another episode of Into the Word. Before.